Greetings and welcome to St. Dominic's Weekly. This is Father Michael. Today we continue our Meet the Novices uh, episodes where we delve into the stories of how God calls uh, young men to the Dominican order. In a particular way, we have a Brother Luke Maria. Brother Luke Maria is by age the oldest in this current class and in fact has a very powerful story. Most know him as the doctor because he's a pediatric doctor before he entered. But even before that, he's a convert uh, to the Catholic faith. So he's a very powerful story of, of how he was brought through an RCAA program and how he discovered the faith in a very powerful and intellectual way. Talks a little bit about his own experience in medical school and how he was brought slowly but surely to a vocation in the priesthood and religious life. He actually spent some time with the Eastern Dominican province and how he discerned then and came west. He gives a kind of impression of the West Coast, having not lived uh, further west than Kentucky for all his life, how this was a little bit of an adjustment uh, to come west, as I say, to the best coast, uh, but also a little bit about how, he, how he's traveled in his life, his travels in Germany, and is some of his uh, fun facts, uh, favorite foods and, and desserts, and so forth. So a wide-ranging, wonderful uh, conversation uh, just about how growth and faith and how the Lord leads us one step at a time. If you, As he says, if you'd asked him if he'd be a Dominican uh, priest, priest early on in his life, it would, that would seem such a far, far distant uh, reality and goal. And yet this is how the Lord has certainly moved powerfully in his life. And so whether you're on the go or taking it slow, many, many blessings as you enjoy today's show. Greetings. Welcome to St. Dominic's Weekly. This is Father Michael. I am joined by one of our fabulous novice brothers, Brother Luke Marie Lee. How are you, Brother Luke? Great. How are you, Father? <laughs> Doing well. It's great to have you. This is part of a, um, a whole series of uh, novice kind of interviews to kind of get to meet the novices. And I think you have the distinction, in terms of your novice brothers, of actually uh, kind of living a little before the order. Yes, yes. I'm the oldest one. You're the oldest one. Does that make you... Now, when you come, I see, I, I, it, it was different in, I think, maybe when I was a novice when you it was whoever was the oldest quote unquote in religion was whoever actually just showed up but at a certain phase it was just who was ever by way of um age the oldest kind of was the the person in charge like the dean to start out how did it work for your class were you did 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 uh, did age have anything to do with order of religion no no it's still whoever shows up first okay and steps so, through the door okay um i was made the dean for the first part of the year okay. but that was just whoever drew saint dominic's name out of a hat oh, is, that how, is that how is that how father anthony does it now yeah Did, just the dean is just literally lots mm -hmm. oh it's just like saint matthias at work Right. You know, the right. Saint Matthias is the is the is the feast day that we celebrated recently of the apostle who took the place of Judas and literally drew his name out of the hat. So, brother Luke, now is Luke your baptismal name? No, no. Um, I chose Saint Luke's yeah. as a uh, Saint Luke as a patron for yeah. multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, he's a physician, and yeah. I was a physician before I entered the order. Also, he's a convert. I'm also a convert, and he's an evangelist, and I'm trying to enter the order of preachers, so I thought it would be fitting and inspiring in some way. I definitely need his prayers. <laughs> definitely, no. And, and Luke is certainly, I, I also, that idea of 
Luke as a physician being close to the Virgin Mary and our Dominican order, uh, having that connection as well uh, springs to mind. But maybe to start a little bit, uh, just kind of backpedal a little bit, uh, you uh, certainly entered the order having a career as a physician. Just maybe describe, maybe even just kind of from your own background. You grew up in a Catholic family? Uh, No, I grew up in an evangelical Protestant family. I didn't convert to Catholicism actually until I was in medical school. Oh, okay. So uh, I had a wonderful foundation of faith um, from my parents and the church that I grew up in, for which I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I only knew that single church growing up. And when I moved away from home and went to college, I didn't know how to choose a church, if hmm. you can even call it that. Sure. Because the church that I grew up in was a non-denominational church. Okay. I didn't know what all these denominations meant. Yeah. And so I thought I would just go and see what seemed the most similar to what I grew up with. Nice. And you can never find something exactly the same. Sure. Now, you grew up in Cleveland, is that right? In Ohio? Uh, no, or? Cleveland was where I lived uh, before okay. I moved here, but uh-huh. I actually grew up in Florida around Tampa. Okay, around Tampa. And is your family still in that area then? Yes, my parents still live in the Tampa Bay area. Okay, so that you're from Tampa. And so when, when did you, where did you go to college? In Philadelphia. Okay, so, so moving there is kind of obviously a life, a life change. And so what kind of, well, it wasn't, that, that's not where you converted though, that was later on. Uh, no, um, I went to medical school in Durham, North Carolina when I was going to Duke University. Okay, to Duke. So, but, but before that, was there some kind of, I'd say gradual kind of, faith experience before you went to that, con- before converting that kind of led you to that conversion? Uh, I would see, say that it was due to a series of little steps over time. Uh-huh. I certainly, I had uh, Catholic friends growing up and in college and uh-huh. one in college even invited me to the Easter vigil junior year. And I found it strangely peaceful, a piece that I really couldn't explain. Hmm. Um, my friend was careful to say, well, since you're not Catholic, you shouldn't receive the Eucharist. Hmm. And he tried to explain transubstantiation, but <laughs> it didn't quite make sense to me. Sure. Um, and I thought, well, this is peaceful, but there's too many things I don't understand, so I don't think I'll ever become Catholic. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it seemed overwhelming as a kind of a project, so to speak. A right. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And so, but that was the first kind of seeds being sown in your heart of of ex- a, a liturgical, experiential kind of uh, Catholic awareness on the Easter Vigil? Yes, I would yeah. say so. And especially, I found it so peaceful that even though I wasn't Catholic, I would go to Mass. Uh-huh. Uh, semi-regularly, even though I wouldn't receive, um, just to be able to find or obtain that sense of peace again. Nice. It's interesting you say that because certainly from a perspective of a pastor at Easter Vigil, it's like one of the most... (laughs) I say busy, but, but actively <laughs> engaging, you know, there's lots, there's lots going on. It's like a feast for the senses. So to describe it as peaceful, it doesn't seem like it's not necessarily quiet, but as peaceful is interesting to hear in the sense of a kind of a, re- the peace in terms of a, a resonant presence or how would you, how would you articulate that sense of kind of tranquility in, in, in the experience of Catholic mass? Uh, presence, um, a, an inner tranquility. Yeah. It's hard to put into words, yeah. although I don't think I'm the only person who have, um, described it this way sure. too. I remember hearing other converts who have also had this yeah. as well. 
Nice, a sense of presence, yeah, for sure. And then what was maybe more directive as you, so you, and it, in your um, undergraduate, you had a degree in in, uh, in some kind of medicine or some kind of biology or? Um, no, I majored in chemical engineering in German. German? Yes. Wow, what, what, what why German? I had been I, an exchange student in Germany okay. the year before I went to college. Um, okay. It was with a high school exchange program. Okay. And um, I had taken German for four years in high school, and I saw a poster on the wall of my German teacher's classroom yeah. that said, oh, do you want to be an exchange student in Germany? It's oh. free because the United States and German governments have sponsored this exchange program ever since right after World War II to help foster relations between those two countries. Oh, neat. And I thought, well, um, that would be interesting. And uh, the whole reason I picked German as a foreign language to begin with was because I have cousins who live in Austria. So I thought, oh, uh, maybe I could speak better with them or even visit them. Nice. Now, ethnically, you're not German, obviously. It, it doesn't come across on a podcast, <laughs> but you're, ethnically you are. Uh, my parents came from Taiwan okay. in the 60s, and actually each one of my mom's siblings settled in a different country. Oh, really? So my mom's older sister stayed in Taiwan. My mom came to the United States. My mom's older brother ended up in Canada, and my mom's younger brother ended up in Austria. In Austria. Okay, so there's the German the German connection. Was it, was it, is, how ethnically diverse is Germany? Or did you feel a little fish out of water? Um, it's definitely becoming more diverse now, okay. especially with immigration, yeah. but it seems a lot more homogeneous than where I grew up in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So was, was that difficult or what, how was your experience in Germany? It wasn't difficult. It was okay. just more, um, interesting. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I ended up in a town of 15,000 people. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, even so, there was a Chinese restaurant there. <laughs> was there? Um, <laughs> nice. Did Germans know how to make Chinese food? Um, well, uh, it, or Chinese immigrants Chinese who had immigrants. moved to this little Oh, okay. Town. Oh, see, found it. That's great. No, did you uh, acquire any um, particular tastes or... or I don't say love or connection with German culture in any way, having lived because when we have an experience, perhaps when we're a little bit younger, that can be more formative than like say if you move there once, you know, you've kind of lived a little. Uh, well, I definitely thought it was a fascinating year. I got to live with a German host family, nice. and we lived close to the French border. So. Oh. Even though I had taken several years of German in high school, I was still getting used to the accents because mm, that's sure. not a lot of what was taught yeah. in school. And so two weeks into the year, they asked me, do you want to go to France for dessert? And I'm like, did I hear you right? <laughs> but it was less than an hour away, this region of France, um, yeah. Alsace has a particular dish that it's known for. Nice. Um, so I'm like, sure. Nice. What and, kind of dessert was it? Um, it's called Flammkuchen in German, uh, Tart Flambe. Uh, it comes in various forms. It can be a savory form okay. or like a dessert pizza form. Oh. So uh, we ordered multiple dishes, uh -huh. but I remember seeing this thing that sort of looks like a dessert pizza come out. It was made <laughs> with um, apple schnapps, and then they lit it on fire what? right in front of you. <laughs> so it's like you see um, the alcohol burn off, yeah. and it has this wonderful flavor, and it's definitely uh, a sight to behold. Wow, a flaming dessert pizza. Why do we not have this in San Francisco? <laughs> Are you? Do you know how to make? I think I think we need to make one for the community. Oh yeah, maybe we can look it up. <laughs> I'm gonna look at that. The thing, things, things to search for. A flaming. What is it called again? A flambe. Uh, tart flambe. Tart flambe. Okay. I, well, that 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 sounds like just like a pie. Is a tart a pie? Or no, it's a. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, 
It was very large. Though. Oh, it was very okay, but it's like a big pizza. Oh, nice, interesting. So that's your German experience, and so you, you majored then, or you at least um, co-majored or uh, double majored in in uh, in college in German, and then in terms of then what got you into medical? What what was kind of the transition of medical school? What got you? Well, um, near the end of my undergraduate career, yeah. I was looking at jobs that chemical engineers usually get. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually there's not a lot out there for language majors. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, and a lot of the chemical engineering majors from my school were going into either the automotive industry or oil or chemical manufacturing. And those were not as appealing to me as working with people more. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the requirements for the chemical engineering major dovetail well with the pre-medical requirements because you already have to take chemistry, physics, calculus, and so the only things that were missing were a couple of biology classes. Okay. I had also thought about going to medical school, at least in the back of my mind, and kept it open as an option. But I think near junior or senior year was when I finally decided to commit to that path. Okay, nice. And it, did you? It was Duke like at the top of your list of places to go? Uh, yes, definitely. I okay. really li- enjoyed the curriculum there. Um, I like experiential learning more uh-huh. than classroom learning, and okay. they have more of that. So. Oh, do they? Okay, yeah. neat. And what was the connection then with conversion to the faith? How did that happen in the midst of kind of your academic study? So, as I mentioned before, yeah. I've had uh, Catholic friends before, sure. but at Duke, one of my medical school classmates was the first Catholic I met who both practices faith well, mm-hmm. and, and this is the key, he was able to articulate it in a reasonable way to others. Mm. Um, He was also very evangelistic in his personality. He invited non-Catholic friends to Mass. Um, He was willing to answer their questions in a non-threatening way um, while still giving meat to his answers. And he was just a very joyful presence. Um, And then the last two years of um, our, our medical school, school experience, we were roommates together. And around that time, he went through several difficulties, any of which I thought would have been devastating to me, but he handled them really well mm. and credited his faith for it. So he got this physical pain that prevented him from running, and otherwise he would run an hour every day um, without a break day. Uh, he got into disciplinary action at school for something he admitted was wrong, but it seemed like the punishment was out of proportion Mm. to the action Mm. and his grandfather died Mm. Um, all within the span of about three months. Wow. But he was still joyful through it all. Wow. And he credit basically said, I mean, did you ask, did you have a kind of relationship where you could kind of, you know, share that and kind of connect with that, asking him how, how, how he was able to kind of deal and cope with that? Yes. And around the same time, um, I was dealing with my brother not talking to me for a couple of months Mm. because of an argument over the phone. Mm. I felt like that was sort of small compared to everything he was going through, but Mm -hmm. I was not dealing with my troubles well, and he was dealing with his amazingly well. Really? Oh, interesting. So what did he, did he give some, did he point to some aspect of the faith that was, that really resonated with you and said, yeah, that's what, that's what I want to. He didn't point to a particular part of the faith, but uh-huh. he did say, um, without my faith, yeah. I wouldn't be able to deal with it as well. And gotcha. that put another idea in my head about Catholicism working, mm. um, that combined with the piece made me want to think about it more, mm-hmm. but it was a couple months later, um, 
learning more about the faith um, and reading about aspects of the faith that really propelled me to seek RCIA. So there's this one weekend during the third week of med- uh, third year of medical school when I wanted to go to church because I thought going to church would help me feel better. I was having um, feeling down or something. Mm-hmm. But I had already promised another medical school classmate that I would help her measure mouse tumors on Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't wait. A great dilemma. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, You can't, but you can't measure. You can't wait until Monday because then they're going to grow. And I didn't really want to back out of it. (laughs) Uh, I I wanted to keep my promise and say that I would do this. And so I'm like, okay, but, well, I know that my roommate goes to this church that has a Saturday evening service, and I've even been there before, and uh-huh. it's fine. So I'll just go there again. Okay. And I did, and I enjoyed um, the Saturday Vigil Mass. Yeah. Um, but the difference that time was because they were a growing parish, and they were building a new parish building, um, they decided to give away some of the books in their library mm. because they didn't want to move books that nobody's going to read. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we're giving away free books. And so I went to look at the pile, and one of them was entitled By What Authority an Evangelical Discovers Catholic Tradition by Mark Shea. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is perfect for me because I grew up in an evangelical church, and yeah. I want to know more about Catholicism because it's working for my roommate. Wow. So I took it and read it uh-huh. uh, very quickly. It's a very short book. Yeah. Um, and And it dispelled a lot of the misconceptions I had from popular culture that I didn't even recognize that I had. Mm. So I'm like, well, if all these things about Catholicism make sense, maybe anything else that I think is ridiculous actually does make sense in some way too. Maybe I should read more about this. And my roommate encouraged me to search further and said, well, maybe you should go through RCIA. It doesn't obligate you to anything, but you can learn more about the faith that way. Nice. The old make no commitment, but we've got you hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) 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 Very good. Well, he's a a closer. (laughs) Nice. And so um, is it, was there a class, is there kind of a RCA class? Was it a big class or a small class? Or how many? Uh, it was a relatively small class, okay. a small parish. Um, small parish and okay. then I was also able to read supplemental material yeah. um, through the Catholic Answers website, which my roommate also pointed me at. Sure, which is great if, for those um, who perhaps have either an interest in apologetics or find themselves in need of that Catholic Answers is a great is a great resource for that. And lots of other resources too, but they particularly there, we had a Dominican, Father Vincent Serpa, who was my novice master, who was kind of their chaplain for, 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 for many years. Uh, maybe even yeah, maybe even uh, answering questions uh, that you might have had at that time for sure. Um, so you become Catholic. What does your family think? Are they distressed, intrigued, curious, don't understand? Um, well, you, depending on the family member, you okay. get various reactions. But okay. I think um, there was a lot of confusion. Okay. Um, at least at the time that I converted. It's like, well, why are you going through with this other direction that yeah. seems sort of unfamiliar? Yeah. Um, uh, is this something that you really want? Have you thought about this? Or is this just a whim? Mm. Yeah. And, and, so, and so after conversion and then medical school, then, then where did the Lord lead you? Um, well... I remember one of the sessions during RCIA being about vocation and emphasizing the differences between um, married life, um, priesthood, religious life, Mm -hmm. um, different states, and not having an analog um, from my 
evangelical Protestant background. I'm like, well, I'm not really sure what to do with this question. But um, my roommate, uh, Joe, had emphasized, this is a really big question. You need to figure this out. And I even considered priesthood at some point, he was saying to me. Hmm. Um, but he discerned that he was called to marriage. Mm-hmm. But this is still something that you shouldn't discount. Yeah. You should really go through this question in your mind. Yeah. Uh, so I thought about diocesan priesthood and also the Jesuits because um, the parish where I went through RCA was a Jesuit parish. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I hadn't met the Dominicans yet. Mm. Um, but uh, especially since the church doesn't want people to fizzle out just with an initial zeal that doesn't last over time. Of course. The church says, well, if you are considering priesthood or religious life, we want you to wait a couple of years yep. to make sure that it's true and yeah. that you're going to last. <laughs> exactly. In other words, you're not just caught up with a kind of uh, kind of honeymoon fervor for the faith that 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 doesn't is able to distinguish between religious call versus just the ordinary call of all Christians to, to or Catholics to, to preach the gospel. Right. So nice. And at the time, I had already amassed several thousands of dollars in loans <laughs> sure. from undergrad and medical school. Put so I continued my medical training. Nice. And did you uh, did you practice then medicine after afterwards? Yes. Yeah. So I went through internship in Cincinnati, uh-huh. um, residency in Louisville, uh, pediatric radiology fellowship in Columbus, and then I practiced for a couple of years after that to okay. pay off my loans. Nice. Was that was this also on the East Coast then? Uh, in Columbus and Cleveland. Oh, in Columbus and Cleveland. Oh, very good. Dude, what was it? Was uh, what was the kind of most rewarding aspect of of doing that? What like in terms of professionally, you because you were you were. Um, Interacting with children, is that right? Uh, yes, I was a yeah. pediatric radiologist. Yeah. So dealing with children and their x-rays or other scans, their yeah. CTs, MRIs, ultrasounds. Yeah. Um, a lot of my job was interpreting the pictures from scans on a computer screen and uh-huh. putting it to words, like okay. looking at a chest x-ray and saying, oh, here's the pneumonia. Oh, gotcha. And, um, and then the doctor who ordered the scan would go treat it. Okay. Um, but some of my job was also, in some cases, um, taking the pictures myself mm-hmm. for a couple of the scans yeah. or getting additional pictures if something looks confusing on an ultrasound, trying yeah. to figure out what it is. And there I really enjoyed interacting with the kids and their parents, uh, especially it seems like everybody's on the same page. The kids want to do everything to get better. And yeah. Their parents will do anything to help their kids get better. Yeah. Um, and it's just a very rewarding environment seeing everybody um, on the same wavelength yeah. um, working toward this common goal. Nice. Yeah. No. And in, in terms of um, the idea of religious life or priesthood, it, that just kind of stayed a little bit in the background or were you even at that stage? Because once you kind of, I mean, I think once you kind of, start you know in a career you've got kind of a path you've got you know perhaps goals what it does seem like a little bit of a kind of a, a little bit of a u-turn to go from pediatric radiology into into priesthood was there a moment or some kind of event or or maybe just a, a kind of a consideration back once you've now lived as a catholic for a little bit of time what was maybe kind of unpack a little bit of the confluence of got what got you back thinking about religious life and priesthood uh, well, I was still thinking about religious life and okay. priesthood through this time. Okay. When I moved to Cincinnati, I met with the Archdiocesan Vocations Director and asked him which parish has a good young adults program. Okay. And he suggested St. Gertrude, oh, sure. which is the Dominican parish in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, which and, is also the novitiate for the Eastern Province. Right. Yeah. 
And at the time, they had a uh, mass with the novices um, combined with evening prayer um, that was in the evenings at a time that was just perfect so that after work, I could go there and attend mass and interacting with um, the community there, seeing how happy these young men were, made it a more realistic consideration in my mind. Yeah. Nice. And and you got to know some of the Dominican friars then? Yes, yes. Any particular ones? Um, I think the first one I met, who was also the young adults chaplain at the time, was Father Michael Dosh. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. And um, he was really welcoming, willing to answer any questions anybody had, uh, especially about the faith, um, in interacting with young adults. Um, a real presence. He would um, go out on outings with the young adults as well. Nice. You're making me feel old because we went to school together, Michael Toshin. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I remember <laughs> that would be that would be my story time to tell stories of other Michael. And then, and uh, so no, so so you, so that was obviously not only just religious life, but particularly Dominican religious life. Did you ever? You mentioned considering other orders, but was it because of that connection, the Dominican life that really kind of pulled? Is it was that did that make the difference in terms of when you actually? Um, applied and 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 and, uh, and started that re- religious life. Yeah, certainly that per- yeah. personal experience yeah. in interacting with the Dominicans. Yeah, and I actually ended up training in cities that all had Dominican parishes. So yeah. Cincinnati, Louisville, and Columbus all have Dominican parishes. Yeah. And Father Michael actually ended up being the pastor of the parish in Columbus by the time I got there because oh, really? he had been transferred up there uh, oh. to that parish by that time. Look how the Lord was working that out for you. <laughs> he was kind of like a sense, sense, sense of that like confluence. Um, and then in terms of your Dominican life, uh, you did spend some time with the Eastern province. Is that right? Uh, yes. After I had worked in Columbus, I spent some time with the Eastern province, but I discerned that I was not ready for um, taking simple vows yeah. at the end of the novitiate year. Yeah. So I went and worked in Cleveland. Cleveland. And then came to came west to, uh, to that. I have to admit for myself when I, because I... Kind of meeting you for the first time, I wondered what a what a kind of leave because you've never really lived on the West Coast. No, no, um, right? the furthest west that I've ever lived before now was yeah, Kentucky. Exactly. So I remember having that question at the time. I said, "Do you really think? Like, do you what? What do you think? Because we're in our province. Certainly, there are folks who, because of ministry or need or something, would live out. You know, live not live on the West Coast, but." By and large, the expectation is if you enter this province, you'll be minister on the West Coast. And I thought, gosh, what a leap of kind of what almost a, a little bit of mini, <laughs> missionary kind of deal to be able to say, you know, the family in in Florida, you've lived mostly on the eastern seaboard, and and as you say, the furthest west is Kentucky. What uh, what what was <laughs> maybe describe coming to the West as a kind of a little bit of a leap of faith? Yeah, definitely, it was a leap of faith. But uh, when I ended up in Cleveland, I was looking for a parish again, and multiple friends recommended a parish whose pastor is a diocesan priest, Uh uh, Father Dave Ireland. But he is actually a member of the priestly fraternity of St. Dominic. Um, So he has at least that type of Dominican connection. Uh And when he was studying in Rome at the Angelicum, one of his professors was Bishop Robert Christian. Oh, really? Oh. So Father Dave had suggested the Western Province Dominicans to me um, when I was thinking about religious life still. Okay. So I came and visited and I liked what I saw. Yeah. And then I applied. 
And after living on the West Coast for an academic year, what do you think? It's wonderful. Oh, um, good. <laughs> he goes, yeah. <laughs> there, are there particular, di- I mean, coming from any, are there particular differences with West Coast, on say, vibe or culture that you notice? Well, I guess the first thing I noticed yeah. was the weather because <laughs> in Cleveland, yeah. it snows a lot. It snows yeah. from like October to April. Okay. <laughs> um, and the weather, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, yeah. is so great. Yeah. But also, people are very friendly. Yeah. Um, people are laid back. Yeah. Um, helps me to relax more when there okay. are other relaxed people around me. Okay. <laughs> so positive things, mostly. Okay. No, that's good. And what about this, this year in terms of if you had to describe to someone um, something that's been enriching, striking, surprising about this. This is a unique, being a, a novice, so that novice year is really unique. There's not too many other analogs or corollaries in, in kind of secular society to kind of take a, take a year of doing intentional kind of retreat discernment sort of things. Well, what is, what, what's something that you've either learned about yourself or about life or has been striking to you or surprising to you from this year that you, that might be helpful for, or interesting for folks to know? Well, I guess, um, just a lot more self-knowledge and in interacting with community mm. in spending time in prayer. Yeah. Um, little quirks that maybe it's more obvious to other people who are looking outside, but yeah. things about yourself that you don't recognize until you see how you interact with other people. Yeah. Um, like uh, how much quiet time I need to make for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, in the midst of all this community activity. Yeah. So to, and no, you need that in order to be um, <laughs> helpful or <laughs> to be engaged with, with the community. Has it been difficult? I, and I, I ask this because I know from my experience in the mission where we had 12 and now there was end up four being solemnly professed uh, and ordained that some of those uh, um, classmates that had um, come in with life, more life experience and other careers Myself and the classmates at the state were actually um, came right in out after college, but they, they said it was a little bit hard. They, they what they described as some of the challenges. I had no, there was no there there really for me. So have you found it challenging, kind of living a, a life where you're not? I mean, you're not in control of the schedule. You're not. I mean, all the things that would make you successful in your own career are not necessarily immediate advantages to living a, <laughs> the novitiate life. How has that been for you? Well, I think it's nice to be able to not have to worry about making a schedule. Oh, okay. Just to have nice. things presented to you. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of our society is based on making choices, but mm-hmm. if you have too many choices, yeah. it's hard to sort through all that. Nice. So to have a schedule laid out is uh-huh. actually very pleasing. I don't have to think about it. Nice. Everything is there, um, and I can put my mind to other things. Nice. It's almost like the freedom of the of the regular life. Yes. That's kind of thing. I, I say the same thing about the habit. Like when I get up in the morning, I don't have to give a second thought to what I'm wearing today. Just clean or not clean, dirty or what, <laughs> laundered or unlaundered, laundered or need to be laundered. That's kind of the main the main kind of thing. Um, and then in terms of kind of I don't say hobbies, but talents. I know you you play the at least you you have in the past played piano and organ. Is that an interest of yours? Yes, I grew up playing the piano. Yeah. Um, my mom had wanted her kids, um, myself and my older brother, to learn the piano because she remembered it from her childhood, her dad playing the piano all the Uh time. So I had at least grown up playing the piano. Um, 
It's only in the order that I've learned to play the organ, and especially with um, Simon here. Yeah, he's a very talented teacher. Nice. And so you're learning. You're you're kind of getting more adept at the. It's, to my ear, it sounds like you know what you're doing. So do you feel that way, or do you, you feel like you got a lot a lot more to learn? Uh, there's always more to learn. Oh sure, but, but um, yes, it, it's definitely improving over time. Okay, <laughs> so you can see yourself leading leading uh, leading choir on a regular basis. Um, maybe we'll get to that point. At some <laughs> <time>. <laughs> no, I love it. Not full commitment, but willingness. There you go. Um, patronages for Dominican. Are there any particular Dominican saints that uh, have been inspiring to you, or do you seek intercession in your own as your own Dominican vocation? Well, I guess Blessed Margaret of Castello stands out to me. Uh-huh. Um, she had shrines at the Dominican parishes in Columbus and Louisville. And I think is maybe not as well known a Dominican as some of the others, yeah. but definitely an inspiration, um, a way that God can work through people yeah. um, without um, depending on pride. Yeah. So she was a lay Dominican. Okay. What, what time period? Just to um, give us context. The... I don't want to get the century wrong. Yeah. It's very early <laughs> in Dominican life. life. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. it's, the, yeah. it's closer to St. Dominic than we are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's the 1300s, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but her parents, um, she, she had a lot of physical deformities mm-hmm. when she was born and her parents kept on praying, mm-hmm. um, but her parents got frustrated. And so one time they just left her at a Dominican convent but she grew up in the care of nuns and she was a great inspiration to the people around her and people prayed to um, God through her intercession for um, spiritual as well as physical healing. And there have been, at least from the stories that I've heard, a lot of um, miraculous cures associated with her intercession. Nice. And she, she, once again, in terms of the power for strike, cause we, we, uh, she has a, how to put it to the world. She doesn't look particularly successful, <laughs> like yeah, successful, but just her ability to live in kind of in suffering, it's a power of suffering, right. And her infirmity and to be able to be, um, inspiration to others. She's literally abandoned by her parents and then brought in. So, and, and, but you, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of a parish named, Blessed Margaret, because she's blessed, right? She's not a saint. She's blessed. She's um, blessed. Yeah, there but, were shrines. Oh, at shrines. The at Interesting. The I've never. Where, where were these were on the East Coast. Um, in Ohio, in Kentucky. Oh, and these are Dominican parishes. Yes. Okay, that that makes sense. Because I was like, I never heard of a shrine to Blessed. I mean, I I know of her because I'm a Dominican, but that's that's she's not she's not on the who's who. Usually, you got Thomas Aquinas, Martin de Porres, you know, Catherine of Siena, but Blessed Margaret is is a is one. And so, you in terms of your own background in medicine and healing, is that or is that kind of the the, the idea? Yeah, that's the connection. And then, um, especially at the parish in Columbus, Mm -hmm. um, every Wednesday at the masses, um, they would have a devotion to her relics. Nice. Very good. Good. Um, Maybe the last, I I I like to ask fun facts uh, in terms of the thing. (laughs) Brother Ligri's giving me a a look like, oh boy, fun facts. I don't know. I'm excited about fun facts, but but maybe favorite favorite food, favorite dish. Um. Pizza is always great. Pizza is always so, great. Yeah, um, nice. So Plain. easy to make a variety of different kinds to nice. spice it up. Okay, so then I, I'm I'm thinking uh, maybe if you're if you're signing up to cook, we can do some pizza. <laughs> you're laughing. I still don't. I do want to do the flambe flambe the tart flambe. I'm looking that up. 
yeah, we're good. We we're good. Do, we're, we're consider that. Yeah, I, I, we'll see how much how much alcohol it takes to light it on fire. <laughs> is it, and you say it's sweet. So what is it? Is there sugar and? Um, it was with um, apples. Oh, apple. Okay, yeah. So we could do, we could do some c- cinnamon apple flambe pizza. I think we can make it work. <laughs> Very good. So, so thank you, uh, brother, for um, being with us today. I certainly, as you continue uh, on your the next chapter of, of Dominican life, we'll certainly keep you in prayers and keep us in prayers here at St. Dominic's and for all of our listeners, uh, certainly that sense in which the Lord can move in our vocation. Uh, the Lord always, always has a plan for our life and if we're open to it, will guide us and guard us in that way. And so may all that you do truly this week be open to that, that you might radiate the joy of the gospel here in the heart of the city. Amen? Amen.